welcome to the Look Around You Public Health Matters podcast. Um, we are joined today by Elizabeth, Hul Elizabeth Hulko um, as a trigger warning. Our episode today involves topics related to mental health and anxiety. Um, my name is Ibrahim Alasafra, and I'm joined by Ria Kauli. Hi, everyone. I am Ria Kauli, and I am in my graduating semester of the public health program at Case Western Reserve University. Um, as mentioned by Ibrahim, Ibrahim today we're talking about um, a topic related to mental health and anxiety, and specifically it has to do with COVID-19. So COVID-19 is very new to everyone. There's still a lot that we don't know about it, and we're learning a lot in real time. And as such, there's a lot of uncertainty that we've experienced over the last year, and we continue to experience in what's going to come. A few weeks ago, there was a study that caught all of our attention that looked into COVID-19 and the effects that it has on the brain. This new study was conducted at Oxford and found that one in three people who have survived COVID-19 are diagnosed with a neurological or psychiatric condition within six months of being infected. The most common mental health conditions that were found were anxiety disorders, mood disorders such as depression, substance misuse disorders, and insomnia. There were also neurological conditions such as brain hemorrhages, which is bleeding that interferes with the brain's function, ischemic stroke, which is caused when a vessel supplying blood to the brain is blocked, and dementia. So this particular study was super interesting to us and involved looking at the health records of over 230,000 people who had confirmed cases of COVID-19. And they were able to estimate the likelihood of people being diagnosed with a neurological or mental health disorder following COVID-19 infection at around 34%. And psychiatric conditions specifically were found to be much more common. And many people may wonder about the actual mechanism behind the neurological and cognitive symptoms that have been experienced because of COVID-19. And again, because there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot that we don't know, this mechanism sort of falls underneath that. But it's a possibility that there's wild, widespread inflammatory response that also affects the brain tissue as well. So not so much COVID-19 infection in the brain, more so this widespread inflammatory response. So with that bit of background information, we would now like to sort of shift gears in order to humanize this topic more and allow a space for healing. Today, we wanna to focus on the part of COVID-19 that is real and very important to talk about. And that would be the effects of having COVID-19 on the brain and mental health. So with that, um, we are joined by our special guest, Elizabeth Halko. And Elizabeth, could you please introduce yourself? I can. My name is Elizabeth. I'm currently a student at Cleveland State University. I'm 19 years old and I'm a political science major with an economics minor. So as we understand it, um, you actually had COVID-19 fairly recently. Um, to start off with your story, could you please take us back to your life pre-COVID? Sure, so as I said, I'm a student at Cleveland State and I just transferred there this semester. So this was my first semester and it was going well. I had a job at the Tutoring and Academic Success Center at CSU and I am generally really involved in local politics, working on campaigns. Um, in terms of my personality, I was a very passionate person. I really loved learning and being involved and I just generally had really deep feelings. And aside from that, I was very athletic. I really enjoyed running. 
I was very organized, energetic, type A. Um, I graduated valedictorian from, from high school. So I am pretty bright and I'm very kind of an active person. Um, so that's kind of who I was before this started. Yeah, so very involved and engaged in, you know, academics, but also outside of the classroom. What happened for you? What, what changed? So it started off with a really mild case of COVID. My brother brought it home from school. And despite my best efforts, I picked it up from him. Um, once it's in your house, it's kind of hard to avoid it, unfortunately. So I did my quarantine time. I had, you know, a runny nose and some body aches and that's really it. And I participated in school that whole time, didn't really have any serious issues. And then I went back to school and within a few days of going back to school, I woke up one day, went to class and I was super dizzy in class just kind of unexplained dizziness. And it wasn't so bad to the point where I felt like I needed to leave class, but it was enough to be pretty uncomfortable. And later that day, I started to have these almost compulsive, intrusive, existential thoughts that were just things like, what is reality and who is God? And, you know, just really feeling separated from my consciousness and feeling literally like a different person. And I could not think about anything but these thoughts. And I literally thought I was going insane. It was terrifying. And with those thoughts was this panic that I had never experienced before. It was, I mean, complete, I mean, trembling, shaking, dizziness, um, you know, all kinds of really nausea, uncomfortable feelings. And I felt it felt completely beyond my control. And that was very terrifying. Um, so those first three weeks were very difficult because it was just kind of a situation of, you know, try to do anything I could to lessen the, the pain pretty much. And it's not that I had physical pain, but it was very much, the only way I can describe it is painful because I can't even, it's difficult to put into words how that feels to feel like you've lost control of your mind. And I'm lucky to have a great physician. So I was able to see a doctor and I still see her on a weekly basis through this. And, you know, she, you know, prescribed me medication. She gave me antidepressants, mood stabilizers, anti-anxiety medication, things like that that have been really helpful in helping to regulate my mood. And as Rhea was saying earlier, she was saying that it's literally what's happening to me is an inflammatory response from COVID in my brain. And what happens then is the chemicals in your brain get completely out of whack and you get all kinds of faulty signals, all kinds of feelings that don't make any sense thoughts that don't make any sense and really the only way to manage that is with medication and then aside from medication then trying to just do my best to let my let my brain heal because the other aspect of it aside from just 
you know, the existential thoughts and really intense anxiety and really intense depression and mood swings and things like that was the fact that my brain literally did not work. Um, I tried my best to stay with my classes, to stay with my job. And eventually I just had to quit all of it. I had to drop all of it. I had to drop all my classes, quit my job, stop doing my extracurriculars. I mean, literally stop my entire life because as my doctor put it, and it took me a while to understand this because it's not, it's not like a broken leg in the sense that there's pain involved, but she really described it to me as your brain is broken in the same way that she would have a broken leg. And the more times I kept using it, the longer it was going to take for me to heal because every time I used it would be analogous to walking on a broken leg pretty much and expecting it to heal. And so it took me, it was over the course of a month and a half that I kind of gradually dropped all of the different activities because it was hard to do that. Um, But eventually I realized the more stuff I got rid of, the better I felt. So that's kind of an overview of, of the story. And this has been going on for about three and a half months now. Wow. Um, these past few months must have been so much for you um, to go through. How are you doing now? So now, I since I've dropped everything, I've also gotten my first COVID vaccine, which I know that did have an impact. And I've read studies and experiences of other people who have neurological conditions um, that have had the vaccine and have felt that it helped improve their condition, which I would agree with that. Um, So I stopped everything. I got the vaccine. As of right now, I still have panic attacks on a regular basis. It's something we're still trying to manage with medication because they're they're completely unexplained. They just, my brain decides it's time to misfire. So it misfires. And then once that chain reaction starts, I I can't stop it. Um, I can rationally know that I'm not going to die. Nothing crazy is going to happen to me, but um, that's been a real challenge still trying to manage those panic attacks. What kind of medication combination can lessen it? Because, you know, for me, the average person who has panic disorder their panic attacks will last for 10 to 30 minutes. That's kind of the typical average. Mine are lasting for one to two hours before they pass. Um, So they're very disruptive and very exhausting. So I continue to struggle with that. Um, I have also seen a lot of improvements over the past month or so. Specifically, for about two and a half months, I had no feelings. It was literally, I was like a blob and all I could feel was fear or despair pretty much it was there was nothing else there and I I really felt strange because I'm typically the kind of person who has a lot of feelings and who is very passionate so one thing I noticed in the past month is I did start to have feelings again which was really exciting because you know it made my daily life a little bit easier and almost more worth living because it's really hard to get up every day and know that all you're going to feel is fear or despair. 
um, it's a lot nicer to wake up and kind of know I might not feel those things today. And so the other thing is I've had a lot of other, throughout this, I've had a lot of just separate neurological stuff that has happened aside from thoughts or feelings or anything like that. It's been very physical in the sense that I would get just random numbness in the back of my head and the back of my neck, which was very uncomfortable. I would get random dizzy spells. I would just wake up one day and be dizzy. Like I just couldn't get out of bed or do anything um, until it passed. I would have, um, I would randomly start sweating. I would randomly have the shakes, even if there was no other feelings associated with that. So those have improved. I've noticed I don't have that as often. Um, and in general, I feel like I recognize myself a little bit more these days because, especially because of the feelings, but also as my cognitive function has improved, I've been able to actually start to process the experience because for several months, it was really just day by day damage control. It was wake up in the morning and figure out how to make myself as least miserable as possible because every day was something. Every day was fear. It was anxiety. It was depression. It was dizziness. It was whatever. And every day was just kind of, okay, what can I do to make myself a little more comfortable right now? And there really wasn't the time to think about or the capacity to think about anything else but the fact that I feel like shit right now. So now that I can actually have some days where it's not damage control all day, I've been able to, you know, kind of take my own lessons from this and my own um, kind of interpret it and start to place it in the context of my life. Um, because the whole thing has been extremely traumatic. Um, and I really can't emphasize that enough in terms of this has been the scariest thing that has ever happened to me. And I'm someone who has generalized anxiety disorder. So I've experienced my fair share of fear throughout my life. And this is completely beyond anything I've ever experienced before. And that day when I felt dizzy, that day when it started, it felt like a break in time. It felt like my old life ended and whatever this was started. And I really didn't know how to deal with that. I really, you know, I felt like a different person and I couldn't move past that. And I didn't know how to process this experience. And, you know, I didn't have time for a good two and a half months or energy or mental capacity to really deal with that. And so the past three weeks or so, I've been able to start going through that process of dealing with it. And that has helped a lot too, um, because I've, and this is just my experience, this is not everybody's experience, but for me, it has kind of served as a more life-changing event in a positive way, I'm starting to 
kind of put that together um, because the first thing I realized is yes, I am a different person. Nobody goes through trauma. Nobody goes through hard things and comes out exactly the same. So that's the first thing I had to accept. But then being able to accept that and kind of just take stock of my life as it is, which is currently in shambles. I mean, it's like I had to drop out of school. I had to drop it. Nothing. I have nothing right now. And that upset me for a few days. And then I kind of just had to have a moment where I was like, well, all the pieces are on the floor, which means that there are infinite possibilities and in how I choose to put them back together. And being someone with generalized anxiety disorder, this is something I've had my whole life. Um, I was born with it. It's been something that I've, it's, it's been a lifelong journey trying to figure out how to live with that. Um, and going through this experience has given me a lot of perspective on my anxiety and how I've chosen to deal with it over the years. Um, because what this has essentially done, what this COVID thing has essentially done is forced me to stop. I mean, literally forced me to stop everything, drop everything and just be. And it's forced me to accept rest. It's forced me to accept time and space. Whereas I never accepted that before. Um, and I realized, and, and until this happened, I never had that perspective on how I used to run my life, which was basically running myself into the ground. I mean, I worked hard partially because I liked school and partially because I liked learning and partially because I, I did care. But I also, I also worked so hard because I was running away from my fear. I was running away from my anxiety. And I, it's like I've been running my whole life and I've never stopped. And this experience has forced me to stop and sort of critically think about that. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm kind of in that stage of processing, figuring out how to move forward as this different person that I am, figuring out how to place this experience in my life, seeing what I can learn from it, which is, I think, a lot um, for me personally, and just kind of, you know, taking it day by day and figuring out, okay, how do I figure out how to manage current symptoms? But then how do I also look forward? Wow, thank you for being so open, Elizabeth. Um, that obviously is so much, but you clearly are on a path towards, you know, greater healing and, and looking back and being able to understand your experience at a different level. And so I guess our next question for you is, what does healing look like for you? You, you started to get into this a little bit, but how have you worked to take steps to help yourself and heal? from this experience? So there's a lot of components to this because 
I would say the first thing that has been, that was the hardest for me to do, but ultimately has been the most important is making space for healing, recognizing that I needed to stop my classes. I had to stop what I was doing and that nothing was more important than healing from this right now. And I think, you know, that really made me realize what's important in life uh, in terms of, you know, nothing else really matters if you don't have your health, if you don't have, you know, you're not going to be able to have a good life or to be functional if you don't take care of yourself. And, and really nothing else is terribly important if you're not healthy. And so that was really hard for me to accept that at first, because I've always been kind of in this grind state for many years. Um, and I really based my self-worth off of how much work I could produce. And so it took me, I mean, this was a months long process of slowly getting rid of everything that I was doing. But coming to terms with that, coming to terms with the fact that it was acceptable and okay to rest and that my self-worth was not based on the amount of material work that I was producing. I think that's been one of the most important things for me um, because I, I saw the most improvement, I think, in my condition when I really stopped everything. When I dropped the last two classes I was taking and quit my job, and was able to just focus all my time on, you know, myself and figuring out what I needed to do to make myself feel better. That was instrumental. Aside from that, um, definitely having a great doctor and a therapist has been really important because a huge part of this is biological. You know, a huge part of this is caused by COVID, and a lot of it is really beyond my control it's it's my brain was slash still is inflamed and therefore things are misfiring chemicals are out of balance and you know I can't I can't go to therapy and talk my way out of that and so medication has been absolutely necessary quite frankly to my functioning um, and feeling better. And I'm not sure how long I'll need to be on it or if, you know, how that's going to look, but that's been really important. And, you know, I also had to work on my perspective of psychiatric medication because, um, you know, I didn't really, this experience has made me understand mental health a lot deeper because, you know, I didn't really realize how biological it is until I started to have to talk to a physician about psychiatric medication and which ones are going to help and what they're going to do. Um, that's been really important to not just understand what they're doing, but kind of have that broader understanding of, you know, mental health is a very, it's, it's really not that different from a physical illness. It just looks different and feels different. Um, and then a therapist, 
especially now that I've kind of reached that point where I can start to think through what has happened, having someone to talk to about that on a weekly basis has been very important um, because, you know, they're trained, therapists are trained to help people deal with hard things, to help people deal with trauma. Um, so having someone with a professional expertise on, you know, asking me the right questions and kind of navigating me through this difficult process is very helpful. And, you know, keeping me on track and keeping me accountable for, you know, making sure that I, you know, take time to, to think and to deal with this because, you know, if there is, there is a level of work involved in that. There is a level of, okay, I need to sit down and I need to think about this for this period of time. And I need to make decisions about how I want to remember this. And then a great su support system has been super important. Um, I'm really, really lucky to have, you know, great friends and mentors around me who have allowed me to lean on them. Um, so talking to them, being with them, doing fun stuff with them on a regular basis has been really helpful. It's made things feel a little bit lighter when I can kind of share the weight with somebody else. Um, and even if they don't have any advice for me per se, just having someone to talk to about it and to sympathize with you is really important. And that was hard for me to do as well, to figure out how to lean on people and that by needing their help, you know, that wasn't a failure on my part. Um, so that took some time. But once I realized that you know, they were still going to love me anyways through this and that they were going to be there and that my presence in their life was not dependent on me being some perfect version of myself. It's been one of the most important things to just have them around me, especially since, you know, I did have to drop out of school and I had to quit my job and I had to kind of stop doing all of those other things that would get me out and in the community and stuff. Um, I'm a very social person, so that was hard and having them around and recognizing that, you know, I needed to ask for help was really important. And I would definitely suggest that to, to anyone who's going through something similar is, you know, please don't be afraid to ask for help from the people around you because I was actually very shocked at how willing they were to help. And then, you know, aside, aside from that, um, just taking it day by day, um, not really thinking beyond the present, because uh, every day is, is different for me. Every day I kind of wake up and I have to ask myself, okay, what's possible? Because some days there is very little that is possible. You know, some days I really cannot get out of bed. Um, I have to take sedatives for my anxiety all day and I, you know, cannot function. Other days are better. Other days I can get up and I can go for a walk. I can go out with a friend. I can make a meal. I can do, you know, things that I would normally do 
more or less and be fine. So just taking it day by day and just seeing what's possible and being okay with what's possible. That's been really important. And then just kind of, you know, constantly reminding myself that this is, this is biological. This is not a personal failing. This is not me going insane. This is really, you know, my doctor put to me this way. She said, this is basically a traumatic brain injury. She said, this is really not that different than if you had been in a car accident and you had inflammation and chemical distortion from that in your brain. So she said, really don't think about it any differently than that. Um, and reminding myself of that over the past few months has been helpful because I think with mental health, a lot of times it feels like it's us. It feels like, oh, it's all in my head or you know, I can do something to fix this or I can do something to control this, but you can't, um, it doesn't work that way. And I really had to figure that out for myself. Um, and that's been really helpful to just remind myself of that, especially on days when I feel like I should be able to do more. Why can't I do more? You know, it's not me. It's, it's really something that's beyond my control. And then lastly, just rudimentary things like food and exercise. You know, I, I don't, I haven't been able to run like I used to. I mean, really all I can do these days is walk. Um, but trying to walk when I can really helps. Trying to eat something with nutritional value really helps. Um, you know, trying to make sure I just keep up with simple things like, showering and doing my skincare and getting enough sleep and stuff like that. Um, super important. And I didn't realize how important that was until I dropped my classes because the reality is I only have a certain amount of energy per day. It's not the kind of energy I used to have. I have, you know, and depending on the day I have more or less. And so I have to make choices and especially before I dropped my classes, I had to make choices about how I was going to spend that energy. And before I dropped my classes and quit my job, I, I mean, the choice was, I didn't really have a choice. It was, I had to spend that energy doing schoolwork. I had to spend that energy going to class. I had to spend that energy working. And then it made it very, very difficult to kind of do these other things that I needed to do to heal, like, you know, eat well and get enough sleep and, you know, take a walk and get outside and things like that. Um, and once I, I dropped my classes and I could just use all of my energy doing those types of things, the difference was dramatic. You know, even in just my general mood, just being able to wake up in the morning and think, all right, the only thing I have to worry about doing today is figuring out how to go for a walk and, you know, do some laundry or something that was very liberating. So that kind of goes hand in hand with the making space for heal, but for healing, but um, in that space, trying to be conscientious of what you're using your energy for and what I've been using my energy for has been really important. Um, again, thank you again, Elizabeth, for sharing um, your experience 
Um, but I have a question. Um, what advice would you give to other young adults out there who may be experiencing something similar um, uh, or have some challenges um, due to something similar as um, your experience? Sure. So I've touched on a lot of it, um, it kind of in my previous response, but I would say the most important thing is to be gentle with yourself. Um, this is, you know, as my doctor put it to me, you know, I have a terrible disease that is causing me to feel these things and to treat it as anything less than that is just a disservice to myself and my healing. So to other teenagers and young adults out there who might have something like this or who have, you know, these effects of COVID, you just have to be patient and be gentle with yourself because it does get better. I'm proof that it does get better. You know, um, I am expected to make a full recovery, but it just takes time. And for everybody, it's different. You know, I've spoken with people who it took three weeks for them to get better. I've also met people who have taken nine or 10 months to fully get back to normal. So, you know, it does, it does get better. You will heal. You just have to be really flexible with yourself and with your life um, and just accept that, you know, this is what you're doing right now. This is healing is your first priority right now and everything else can wait. Um, I would definitely suggest finding a good doctor. I, like I said, I would not be, I would not be getting through this without the assistance of medication and using medication is not a personal failing. It's, it's not needing psychiatric medication is seriously no different than needing insulin for diabetes. Okay. It's like, you wouldn't be mad at your, your pancreas for not making insulin. You can't be mad at your damaged brain for not making the proper chemicals. So don't be afraid to seek a, seek out help from a physician. Do not be afraid to take psychiatric medication. Um, really all it's doing is giving your brain the support and the chemicals and whatever else it needs to be functional or more functional at least. You know, and that's, you know, for me, it's not just improved my experience, but it's also sped up my healing process um, because, you know, if I can do my brain a favor and give it some of the chemicals that it can't make right now, well, then it'll be able to work on the parts of it that are broken. So thinking about it that way has been helpful for me. Um, and I think the other thing is just don't be afraid to lean on the people around you, your family, your friends, um, mentors, whoever is in your life that you trust. Um, people are more willing to help than you think. And having that and being very open about this and talking about it and being honest has been a very healing thing for me. So I would definitely encourage openness and just being with, with people that you trust as much as you can. Um, 
And other than that, um, just being patient because it, it'll pass. I mean, all, all hard things do pass and just trying to, you know, everyone's journey is going to be different in how they cope with what has happened because, you know, everybody deals with trauma differently and everybody's experience is going to be a little bit different. So, you know, figuring out how you want to move forward with that, I would definitely suggest seeing a therapist, even if you've never seen one before. They're trying to help people get through stuff like this. So definitely find a trusted therapist if you can um, to help you work your way back to being functional again and just you know, accept that you're not going to be the same person. Because like I said, no one goes through hard things and comes out exactly the same. So it's really, it ends up just being a journey of deciding, you know, who do you want to be now? And how do you want to put your pieces back together after something like this? So I think that would be my main advice for anybody else dealing with something similar. Yeah, we have talked a lot about how a lot of of what is being experienced right now with COVID-19 and, and these effects um, are new and there's so much uncertainty around them. So I think that, you know, you being so willing to come here and, and share your story and take that step towards healing, but also give that hope to other you know, teenagers, young adults, adults alike, because as, as this study showed, one in three people are affected within six months of having COVID by, by a neurological or psychiatric condition um, is, is really important and very important for our audience to hear. So we are so grateful that you have been so open and willing to discuss these topics with us today. So thank you so much. Maybe thank you for having me. Um, I have a small question. Um, so being COVID-19 is new to everyone right now. Um, when you went to visit the doctor um, and they diagnosed you, um, was, were there medication, for example, that they told you maybe you can't take this or a medication that they feel that you can take that medication instead? For example, because there's a, a lot of um, new information that's still been being studied right now. Um, so was their diagnosis different or was their um, process different because they this might be related to COVID-19? So this is actually an interesting story because the first doctor I went to had absolutely no idea what to do with me. Um, I went to my regular just, you know, primary care physician and she you know, I was describing to her, this was like the first week that this happened. So I was describing all of the dizziness and the crazy thoughts and the anxiety and all this stuff. And she was looking at me like I had three heads. So I left that appointment feeling really discouraged because she basically said, I don't know how to help you. She said, the best thing I can do is try to refer you to, you know, someone who is more experienced with COVID. Cause I was trying to tell her, you know, I had just had COVID and you know, I have no other explanation as to why I would be having these, these symptoms or, you know, these issues because I have no history of panic disorder. I have no history of OCD or anything like that. 
anything similar to what I was experiencing, you know, and I was, you know, I was literally describing to her that I could not think, I could not participate in class. And she, yeah, she really didn't know how to help me. And I was really lucky to, my mom works for the health department. She works for the County Board of Health. So she is fortunate to have a lot of colleagues and friends who are physicians. So one of her good, her good friends is a physician who knows a lot about COVID and who has worked with, who had happened to work with a variety of other young people who had symptoms like mine. So she was able to connect with me and then she's been treating me ever since that, you know, second week when I connected with her. But um, she was actually the one right off the bat when my mom was telling her, I'm not going to be at work today because my daughter's having all of these crazy symptoms. She was like, oh, you know, she just had COVID. This could be COVID. So she was kind of the one who planted the seed right off the bat in terms of, you know, this isn't, this is COVID. This isn't, you know, something completely crazy. But that's kind of how it went for me is once I, so after I went to my primary care physician and that was useless, basically, I connected with her directly and she, you know, I was lucky in the sense that she has treated other people like me before in the last year that this has been going on. So she knew which drugs she had given other people and that have helped. So I'm taking Prozac on a daily basis. Um, that's an antidepressant. It is like a mood stabilizer, she said, it'll help bring down the panic response and just kind of lift me out of the depths of despair pretty much. And that has been very helpful. The other thing I have is hydroxyzine, which is an antihistamine, but um, it kind of works as a sedative. It's kind of like Benadryl in the sense that it makes you super sleepy and super chill. Um, so that helps a lot if I have a panic attack or I have kind of, there'll be days where I just have like lower level anxiety all day, just unexplained anxiety all day where I can't get comfortable. I can't lay down. I can't focus on anything, but the fact that I'm super uncomfortable. So I can take that just as needed to help with that. Um, and then I also, it really screwed, has really screwed around with my vitamin levels and my metabolism. Um, so I, I've, I was super vitamin D deficient for whatever reason after getting COVID. So I have a prescription dose of vitamin D. Um, and like I said, my metabolism is really kind of out of whack because of the constant stress. Um, so I have, she's given me all kinds of different dietary tips of, okay, trying to eat this at this time. And especially before bed, cause I was having this issue where, and I've never had this before, but I would wake up at midnight and be starving, even if I ate three meals a day. And so I have this whole ritual of, I have to eat like 20 grams of protein before bed and, you know, to try to regulate my metabolism. So, you know, I guess for me, she kind of, she knew it was COVID when I first started talking to her just because she had worked with other people with pretty much identical symptoms as me. but. Um, I think this is an important point because in my experience, not all doctors seem to really know how to deal with this. So that is another thing is it might take some trial and error for those out there who might be looking for a doctor to help 
treat this, know that there are doctors out there who do know how to treat it, but also know there are some doctors who don't, who don't understand it um, because it is so new and they haven't maybe worked with other patients yet who have these kinds of issues. So I'll just throw that out there. Yeah, and that gets at the point that, you know, belief and trust when you see your doctor is so important and important to being able to start that path of healing and finding, you know, things that work for you in terms of, you know, you talked about your rituals or if you need medication or what therapy and so on. So um, there's a very important role that has to play too. Thank you for speaking to that. Of course. I think the only thing I would add just kind of generally is going off of what you were saying is that there is a lot of uncertainty around this and that is a weight, that is a weight to be carried. It's a weight that I carry. And I think it's a weight that a lot of other people who have stuff like this carry because it's not like you can go to a doctor and they know exactly what to do to help you. Um, there is a lot of trial and error with medication. There is a lot of trial and error with figuring out, okay, this helps, but this doesn't. Um, there is a lot of things, there's a lot of changes. It's like, just because it's one day, it's something one day, doesn't mean it's not gonna be something different another day. And just kind of figuring out how to carry that weight has been an important part of my healing as well, of just figuring out, you know, particularly the taking it day by day has been the most important thing of, I had to learn early on, I can't worry about what it's gonna be like six months from now, cause I don't know. All I can do is exist right now and live this experience as it is right now. So I guess that's the only thing I would add is just to emphasize that that is a very real weight to be carried, the uncertainty. A lot of like master of public health students and people tuning in are very passionate about this. So I think your story is so important and so valid and humanizing. And it's just, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing it with everyone so openly. Thank you for having me. And quite frankly, talking about it does help a lot and being really open about it does help me because when it's all in your head and you're just thinking about it, that's hard. You know, so it's been really helpful for me to be able to share it with not just the people around me, but, you know, I've been trying to be as open as I can with anyone I encounter because yeah. it's really helpful. So Elizabeth, we would like to thank you so much for being on our podcast today. We hope that this experience, you know, has, has helped with healing. We know that our audience will definitely appreciate it and people who listen, who are, who have gone through or are going through something similar um, this is so important for them to hear and just to be able to humanize this whole topic. You know, this is very, very new um, as we've talked about a lot. And so being able to kind of put a voice with that one in three people statistic who are experiencing this and knowing that there's a story behind it, but there's also hope behind it. Um, well, it is so important and so important to healing. So thank you so much. Um, and to our audience, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Look Around You, Public Health Matters. We will catch you on our next episode. Thank you.